So, uh, Haley, we had our first listener request for a topic on the show this this past episode on Twitter. Uh, I believe her name on Twitter is uh, Scarlet Tartlet. Oh. And uh, she asked that we talk about Benedict Cumberbatch. And somehow how he relates to uh, to parenting. I, I don't have anything much to say. I mean, I could do a whole rant about how he's been in the unlucky situation of being stuck in sort of trying to play characters that have been done really well in the past and just playing parts that are written very poorly, which <laughs> makes it makes it scary for him later on like when he's doing a doctor strange movie there's a wonderful opportunity there to be very psychedelic and and trippy and interesting but it probably won't be um (laughs) and he does look like an otter so it does relate to the show in terms of otterly rad but um no i don't think i have anything how about you i mean i'm trying to think like if benedict cumber whatever his name is shut up on my doorstep would i let him babysit and i don't know i mean I don't know. If he had played the lead in Fifty Shades of Grey, the movie, as at one point I think he was going to, would that impact your decision at all? No. 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 Okay. Well, obviously we don't have much to go on in terms of Benedict <laughs> Cumberbatch, but we do have other things to talk about, and Weirdo. we will do so on this, our first 2016 episode of Otterly Rad. And I guess our, our next episode will be people writing in to tell us how much we don't know about Benedict Cumberbatch. You know, that's one way to get uh, responses is just to make controversial pop culture statements. I really don't like him. Uh, we, we'll do a Doctor Who thing at some point. Oh, you'll, just, no. you'll never hear it again. All we will we'll kind of have to convert to a uh, to no. a Benedict Cumberbatch slash Doctor Who podcast. No, you can't make me. No, no, no. In fact, uh, Otterly Rad is not about that. Otterly Rad is about rad stuff for parents, kids, and families of all kinds, shapes, and sorts. Thank God we're not about Doctor Who. Correct. Uh, Correct. There are Doctor Who podcasts out there. If we think of a stupid punny name for one, I bet it will already exist and have more listeners than we do, as we learned last episode. This is true. (laughs) Shout out again to the Serial podcast. Damn you, Serial. (laughs) (laughs) uh so this week i have an article that i am hoping we'll talk about and i think we'll have some interesting back and forth on it it's uh from november it's from the verge which is uh often a technology and culture website and they are talking about a study that came out of the uk that said that an astonish well maybe not astonishingly (laughs) but that a low number of um Children in the UK, in this case, only a third of young people aged 12 to 15 knew which search results on Google were advertisements. And in fact, it was less than 20% for children aged 8 through 11. And what was that in comparison to the adult rate? So they don't list an adult rate in the article that I read. Um, However, I would suggest that it is not far off, to be honest, or at least I guess I should put it this way. that I think there's a difference between recognizing the difference and caring about the difference. True. And I would say that while adults may be able to identify that more, 
they don't all they can choose not to care about that one way or the other. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think there's there's sort of an interesting difference there that we can talk about too. But I, I guess the way that I'll get us into this topic is to say that back in a former life, before I was a librarian, I was. Um, I was in psychology, specifically school psychology, and I was very interested in this topic of media literacy because to me it's not something that's taught really anywhere, but it is so important. You know, we assume that kids and teens understand technology, and for some people they really understand how to use it because there are things about it there are elements of it that they want to be able to use for various reasons. They want to talk to their friends. They want to play a game that they've seen, you know, whatever it is, they have a motivation to learn the technology to fulfill a particular goal. What that doesn't include though, is a real critical look at what they're looking at online. Mm. Right. I mean, that's, there's a difference between knowing how to, how to search on a search engine and click on a result versus critically looking at those results and understanding what you're looking at and understanding how to find additional results if you so chose and being able to make that decision thoughtfully. Uh, So that's something that is really difficult to find a place in traditional educational environment to, to teach that. And I think Um, some schools are teaching that um, just in terms of like basically online skills and stuff like that, like basic online etiquette and things like that. I've heard some kids are learning that in school, which is awesome, but that doesn't really cover like when you see what we know to be an advertisement on your Instagram feed, does a 12 year old really recognize that that's an advertisement? Some of them do, but some of them clearly don't, or they don't care. Right. Right. So, I mean, as, as we go on through this study, you know, it says that 31% of 12 to 15 year olds actually could identify that the top search results in Google, which are outlined in a box and labeled with the word ad, actually understood what that meant in that context. So again, it's not that they don't know what an advertisement is, and I'm not trying to sell this idea that all advertisements are bad. That's not necessarily the case, but it's understanding what it is they're actually looking at. I think a more interesting one is that uh, further in the study, they mentioned that more than half of 12 to 15 year olds were unaware that people who are on YouTube, you know, these like vloggers, YouTube celebrities, whatever, that they might be talking about a product because they were paid to endorse it. Wait, half? Half? Didn't more you than half. That? 53%. No. 50- so, so here's where you get really tricky, right? You can teach someone to see the the orange box or the yellow box with the word ad in it. Not every search engine has that, but you know, you can identify those kinds of ads pretty readily. But it's when you get into some of this advertainment, if you will, that things really start to get tricky. And we see it, I know, in the library world quite a bit. You have someone who's looking for a job, for instance, and they find all these scammy job sites. And it is really hard sometimes to identify unless you kind of know the drill. Well, I mean, I, I know I've told it, you this story. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, I think that's what it kind of comes down to, though, is that the only way you really learn what these things look like is to a certain extent through experience. So how do kids get that experience? Well, I think one way they get that experience is by observing how the people in their lives interact with this stuff. So right off the bat, 
parents can emulate good behavior in not just clicking on the first thing they see and assume that it's correct, not just going straight to the the advertisement or whatever, but actually talking to their kids about how they are, how they're interacting with that content. So it's a, it does mean you have to take time and you have to be deliberate about that. But I think it's very easy for kids to just watch us, even if we are doing the right thing in our heads and they just don't know that, you know, so we jump quickly to a result because we can, in our minds, just sort of look at it and go, okay, it's not those three. I want to go to this one here because, you know, maybe you're picking it because of the website that it's going to, or because you've used the site before, or because, you know, any number of reasons. Um, but they don't know that. And so I think modeling that behavior is a, uh, is a really smart way to start that process. Mm. Uh, you know, and, and I've seen parents who also will take it upon themselves to have their kids do research in order to, uh, in order to give them that practice of critically looking at websites, trying to identify the, not necessarily the quote unquote best results, but to try to look for corroborating evidence and that sort of thing. So I know a, uh, a mutual colleague of ours has, um, three boys who are all teenagers at this point. And like one of them wanted to have a Minecraft server. And so she made him go out and sort of pitch to her why this particular service was the best one. Mm -hmm. Of course she can do research too, but by making him not just take the first thing that's on the list or take the thing that his friend told him is the best um, to actually do that research in order to get something that he wanted that's why, again, that's why kids are learning this technology in the first place is right. so they can accomplish something that they want. So I think another way to pull kids in is to tie it to their interests and to the goals that they have. So not necessarily just saying, here's a, here's a list of things I want you to find on the internet now, go find them and tell me what you found, but really incentivizing, like giving them a reason for finding the stuff that they want to find. Right. So if, if we're asked for something from our kids, especially, you know, we just passed the, the winter holiday gift giving time. Um, you know, a lot of parents probably did research about products that their kids were interested in. Mm -hmm. So in addition to that, if you said that your child had to do research as well and tell them why this is the best choice for them, a significant part of it can be I think it looks cool. I want this, but they can also back it up by saying it has very high customer reviews on this website, or this site shows that it's a good value, or you know. And to again, tell them to go to that, consumer reports and. <laughs> it sounds it sounds boring, but once again, kids will do it if they realize that that will that will give them something that they want, and and I would suggest that if you make that part of the habit they're going to realize that sometimes their friends get stuff that breaks in two weeks, but because they did their research and found out that this product might last longer than another, or is just of better quality, those better choices might have an impact on them going forward. I mean, one can hope. I know. I mean, if, if someone told me when I was 12 to go find the reasons for why, what I wanted was the best thing, I would just search for things that backed up my opinion. (laughs) 
Well, and so that's interesting. <laughs> no, that that is interesting. And that's one of the things that comes up about this is not only do kids do that sort of thing, but adults increasingly are doing that as well. No. <laughs> where well where they're Don't looking say. at well and this is so uh, we'll go into old person mode again <laughs> but at, at, at one point in time you might be you might have been able to look around what was the internet at that time and sort of get an opinion about yeah, things not so much now, now. <laughs> Well, now there's so many opinions, you can easily just identify with the one you want. Yeah, you just cherry pick. So I think the harder part of that then, well, number one is it means as a parent, you still have to do research too. I know. But also that you have to really encourage and model the behavior of not just looking at things that say you are right. That's a challenge for sure. But I'm right. Now, there are some things, I will agree, there are some things where things are just correct or incorrect. That that does exist. I always turn to, and this might get us emails too, but I don't care. Um, I don't know if you've seen the John Oliver talk about climate change, where he said, asking if there is climate change is like saying, are there hats? <laughs> like, you could have somebody to talk about that there are no hats, but that doesn't but, really yeah. make sense. Um, now that said, when we're talking about comparing products or picking the neatest place to go on a vacation or something, I think it, those are a little more open and it's a little sort of softer target to use for this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it comes into play if they decide that they're looking at colleges later or if they're looking at more major life decision things. And maybe it will mean when they're looking at political issues, social issues, things like that, that maybe they will be more open to the idea of not just looking for the one website that agrees with them or the one little group, but looking for, for places that, that give them a variety of, of opinions and a variety of facts. Because that's the other thing. If you look at a lot of sites that are, have the same motivations, let's say for writing, um, you will see a lot of the same facts or opinions or studies or what have you across these sites. So it's not like in most cases there are hundreds and hundreds of things that are are all different studies that are saying the same thing. Oftentimes what you see is the same article or the same study referenced just in this sort of echo chamber back and forth through these kinds of sites. So identifying that behavior and and trying to work past that um, is another one of those skills that, again, is as good for adults as it is for kids to use. Oh, absolutely. I mean, just telling them, okay, well, you've cited this source once, you can't cite it again. And that means you can't cite someone else citing it either. Telling them to right. branch out a little bit and find not just that one opinion that's kind of over and over and over again used. Mm-hmm. So I know before the show, we were talking a little bit about working with our kids on this because you know, this is, I'm asking parents to go to a lot of work with this. I understand that. I do. And, and it's in some cases changing our own behaviors as much, as much as it is changing our kids. But I think one thing is talking about sort of exposure to advertising in the first place. Because one way you could look at this is say, okay, by limiting their exposure to some of this stuff, especially when they're younger, 
and then sort of working them into it over time. Because I will admit, I'm not surprised by the fact that 8 to 11-year-olds don't recognize it as easily as 12 to 15-year-olds. That makes sense to me. Right. But I don't know whether that means, I mean, one philosophy would be you install ad blockers, you're careful about things like television, you know, you're very conscious of what's coming in front of your kid. And, and I'd suggest from our conversation, that mm-hmm. kind of sounded like the way that you were, you might be thinking. Yeah. It's like, I remember the first time that a McDonald's ad, McDonald's ad started playing on Pandora and I was like a slow motion, like, no, because <laughs> I mean, my daughter's in the room and like, we've been hanging out and chilling and all of a sudden it's like, do, 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 do you want fries? <laughs> and I'm like, well, <laughs> I do, but, <laughs> but it wasn't really the kind of thing that I wanted just kind of added to the soundscape of our life. I didn't really want that experience to be something that, that she just kind of hears as part of everything else. If that makes sense. Like I don't want Mm -hmm. that to be part of our home life. So yeah, I would, I would say like in my house, we do try to limit that sort of thing just because for one thing, it's just unpleasant. And for another, it's like, I don't feel, I feel like she has the rest of her life to be inundated with ads. And like, if she's blissfully unaware of it now, it just seems, why not let that continue for as long as possible? That is certainly one way to sort of go with the issue. And especially if you're a person who doesn't do a lot of TV um, or who doesn't, you know, avoids some of the common sources of advertising. I think that's certainly something that is not only possible, but, you know, you can, you really have more control over the process within your own home, as you say. I'm also a bit of a hypocrite. It's like, I mean, I listen to NPR and everything in the car and they talk about their fun drives for like hours on end and I don't turn that off. So, (laughs) so there may be a little bit of bias towards the, there there might be, but it's like, I I wouldn't mind if she grew up and just had this like intrinsic need to give to public radio. <laughs> like she doesn't even know where it comes from. She's like deep within me, just from the, as long as I can remember, I felt this need to give. Mm. So I, I definitely, you know, that is definitely a valid way to deal with this issue, especially at a young age. For my part, you know, we both have very young children, so we haven't dealt with this a whole lot yet, but I do deal with it with, with godchildren and of course kids that I've seen at the library, not to mention adults. We don't need to go into stories about like sending things to Bank of Nigeria six at Gmail or whatever oh, else. Um, but to me, I know that exposure is happening whether I get to decide that or not. Whether it's the radio like you're talking about or whether it's being at the babysitter's house or whether it's just driving down the road and seeing stuff out the window, I'm not going to be able to, to close that door, right? The door is open. And for me, you know, we've really been trying to, to talk about issues as they arise, even if she doesn't understand what we're talking about which is probably most of the time when it comes to this kind of thing. I mean, very young child, I would argue even many kids in the eight to 11 year old range may not be ready to talk about some of the headier parts of this, just in sort of what advertisement really means and all that sort of thing. 
all that said, for me, it's that, it's that sort of handheld exposure. Mm -hmm. The, the talking about it together at the moment, even if it takes five seconds, 10 seconds, whatever, and just say, that was an ad for this. They would really like for you to buy it. You know, it doesn't mean it's the best thing. It doesn't mean it's the worst thing. Basically having the people say things, even though they may not be true discussion a lot, it seems like that would be right. what you're, what and, you're ultimately having. I will be, I will be fair and say that it probably creates a more cynical child in some ways, just in terms of, you know, looking at everything and going, ah, what do they really mean by that? But especially with the amount of information that kids have access to at any given point or, or that they are just exposed to, whether they are looking for it or not, I think it behooves me to, to try and prepare them for that onslaught of information. Mm. And maybe that's not even getting to down to this point that we're talking about of identifying advertisements or of understanding that role or paid endorsements, things like that. Maybe it's just how to not get bowled over by this like wave of information and just picking the first thing that comes up on the screen because you don't want to deal with everything else. And, and I mean, maybe we just start there. Right. And I feel like that's a good discussion to have at some point because I think everyone's going to come to that point in their lives where they're like, I don't care if this is the absolute best information. It's the quickest and the easiest. And sometimes that is what you want. Mm-hmm. Again, just being able to talk about that choice. So yeah. at the moment, my daughter really likes one particular cartoon show that's on Netflix. And the reason she likes it, I'm well, there's probably many reasons she likes it. But one of the main things is it's probably the only one she's seen. Therefore, it is her favorite. I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, and that's fine. I don't think we need to show her 20 things and have her pick one. You know, I, I do think there are ways to to maybe look to limit that total exposure to stuff. Um, But then when that exposure does happen, trying to set it in context a little bit. So she loves uh, the show, but she doesn't watch more than an episode at a time, you know, that kind of thing. I I do think there's room for that kind of moderation, but um, I think ideally that moderation is also paired with good modeling and some contextualizing. So really, I think what we're we're saying here is that the most radical approach is the one that doesn't necessarily say no TV, that'll get rid of the problem. It's really right. more about acknowledging the fact that this stuff is out there and no amount of limiting is really going to inoculate your child against advertising. Right. And I think a point that you made about your own bias is is valuable here because especially in uh, radical communities, I have seen this echo chamber thing be very real yes. where you don't listen to anybody else except for the people who share your point of view. And that is, that's a dangerous thing to model in my opinion. Absolutely. You know, a, a lot of people take up a cause or get involved in something because they have done a lot of prior research and they've had a lot of prior experience they are bringing that to the table. Kids don't see that. Right. They just see the final output. Right. Well, it's hard too, because it's like, you know, you, 
you want to listen to other points of view, but you also have only so many hours in a day. And it's like, you know, when I think about that, do I want to spend my time reading something that's going to fill me with rage and frustration? Or do I want to read the thing that I agree with and go to bed being like, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and the, the polarization of so much content that's out there has made this harder. Yes, absolutely. When, when opinions were more nuanced um, and it, they were easier to find, the nuanced opinions were easier to find, I, I think that made a difference. Absolutely. Now and it's, I think it's, that, it's definitely harder. Yeah. It is hard. And I think that, I mean, I don't envy kids growing up with this because it is a very different cultural landscape than the one that we grew up with, where the internet wasn't really something that dominated our real life experience to this extent. Right. Like I feel much more intrinsically tied to the internet than I did as a child. I totally get that. Yeah. Every kid is going to deal with this stuff differently and every family is going to have to, but I think it's something that at least amongst the adults in the family, there should probably be a conversation about this. How are we dealing with this? How are we being deliberate about what we're doing? Whether that is locking everything down, whether that is allowing a certain amount of freedom or whether it's just opening it up and letting the kid at it. Um, I I think that discussion just needs to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Well, good. So if you want to read this study, um, you can go to the Verge article, which has links to the study, uh, on our website, soundcloud.com slash otterlyrad, O-T-T-E-R-L-Y. It occurred to me I hadn't said that in a while, but it's like otters, O-T-T-E-R-L-Y-R-A-D. We are at otterlyrad on Twitter. Uh, if you want to catch us individually, I'm at just Nathan. And I'm at we Hermione. We would love to hear from you. Uh, As you can see, we do try to respond to what people say to us on Twitter, even if it's about Benedict Cumberbatch. We would love to hear from you, especially on a topic like this, where I don't think there's one answer. But if you are doing something with your kids, um, or you have done something with with kids in the past, or just you have a philosophy on this that you want to share, we would love to hear about it. So you can definitely contact us via Twitter or leave a comment on the SoundCloud page. We are on iTunes. If you get a chance uh, and you want to rate and review us, please do so. If nothing else, just comment on Haley's amazing logo that she made for us. It is delightful, isn't it? It really is the best uh, we have. I think we can confidently say that we have the best logo in podcasting. Oh, here. for sure. My skills sure. are just incredible. <laughs> exactly. You don't need to look anywhere else. Just trust us right now. Mm-hmm. No, don't do any research. We have no. the best logo. It's yeah. true. <laughs> it's true. Obviously, we said it's so. true. You heard it on the internet, so it must be true. <laughs> All right. Well, that's our, uh, new, that's our new tagline. because you heard it on the internet because we are on the internet everything we say is true it's true it's true all right well until next time i'm nathan i'm Haley. stay utterly rad